What's up, guys? Hopefully you guys are all enjoying uh, your spring break. If you're on it, I'm down here in Dallas on my spring break. Uh, so if you're either on it or you'll be on it soon, you'll have a lot of downtime driving in the car or or over at the in-laws' house. So uh, make sure you record and or you you download some of our recordings, uh, some of our episodes. We've had some unbelievable episodes this past year and a half. Uh, over 100 episodes you guys can choose from. So uh, check those out and have them ready to go, downloaded so you guys can listen to them. Listen to them in the car. Uh, we're also releasing uh, episode two of Film Room Offensive Line, uh, so you guys can have that to watch on RTP Premium. You guys just go check out all those videos on uh, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com. That's team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Make sure you guys put in the code RTP. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Sports Performance Tracking, or SPT. Sports performance tracking is a wearable GPS device that athletes can actually wear during football games. GPS analytics has been used at the pro level, but never filtered its way all the way down to college and high school until now. With GPS tracking, coaches can measure workload of a player to ensure that they aren't overworking or underworking. SPT is used by almost 25,000 athletes around the globe, from professional football clubs in Europe to high schools in Texas. SPT allows coaches to understand their players' fitness levels and compared to other players. One coach for the University of Louisiana Monroe said, there's no more hiding behind effort. Get the best out of your players and keep them injury-free with SPT. Go to sptgps.com for more information. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Just Play. Whether you're a coach looking for a personal playbook tool or you're on a staff at a program looking to improve your team's preparation, Just Play has a solution for you. They have recently released a new product called My Just Play. My Just Play is a personal playbook tool for coaches at all levels, from Pop Warner, Pee Wee, all the way to the NFL. Create and organize your playbook with terminology, diagrams, video, and assignments, all starting at just $10 a month. Learn more at myjustplay.com. Again, that's myjustplay.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Joe Eisenman. Coach Eisenman is a scholar. Knowledge translator, sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach, doctor, and coach developer. He works as a research consultant for one of our sponsors, Sports Performance Tracking, SPT, uh, the leading producer of affordable GPS tracking devices for outdoor contact sports uh, that we talked about uh, just a few minutes ago. Listen as we talk with Coach Eisenman about his work and research in refining and improving football practices and recovery for athletes using SPT technology, his thoughts on where you can get the biggest bang for your buck in football and conditioning realm, and new trends and developments in the strength and conditioning sciences. You can follow Coach Eisenman on Twitter at Joe underscore Eisenman or through his website, ironmanperformance.org. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, my background and my uh, football journey, um, 
really starts as a youth athlete. Um, and then from there, I got interested in sports science. Um, so I've never, never coached uh, football, but have been involved as a sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach. Um, kind of stepping back, went through my, uh, my studies as an undergrad and a graduate student, um, obtained my PhD uh, in the area of pediatric exercise physiology. So a lot of my, my uh, work, um, both research-wise and from a practical standpoint, is really focused on the youth athlete and the high school athlete. Um, kind of specifically to football, uh, again, I mentioned been involved with, as a strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist with a variety of high school football teams. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I, I left university life. I was a professor for about 20 years and, uh, left university life when I took a position at USA football, which is the national governing body of the sport, um, as the director of high performance and coach education. So there I oversaw, uh, USA football's efforts in long-term athlete development um, health and safety, uh, kind of related to sports medicine and the science of, uh, performance conditioning, um, and athletic development, and then also coach education. Um, I was there for one short year. Uh, I left about a year or so ago, uh, currently consulting, um, in the field of sports science and long-term athletic development. Uh, one of those groups is SPT, or Sport Performance Tracking, which is a GPS uh, technology um, that has sponsored, you know, some of the events that you guys have done as well. I think uh, that's one of the things that we kind of want to talk about um, on the show is athlete monitoring um, and training and conditioning. How much has sports science, and this might be way too broad of a question, but uh, how much, because in, the, in sports science, in, um, in nutrition, uh, it, it just seems like in all, even outside of sports, it seems like it changes um, uh, almost every five years. I mean, I remember growing up and it was like uh, meat and cholesterol were the enemy of everything. And here within the last five years, whether it's true or not, that's kind of flipped on its head. Um, you know, you hear a, a bunch of differing ideas with, with, um, uh, you know, weight room and, and different sets and reps and all of these for optimal. And some guys train, you know, one way, and then other guys are going to train more explosive and some are Olympic lifts. And it, it seems to me, it's like such a cycle. So, uh, you being in this for, I think you said the past 20 years, how much have you seen this change and evolve over that time or, are the tenets of it still kind of the same as they were 20 years ago of sports science in general? I know it's a really broad question. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot to pick apart in that uh, commentary and question right there. And, you know, maybe the, 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 the first place I'll start is where you ended. And that is there are fundamental tenets, fundamental principles that when they are put in place with consistency, they produce results. Um, now, probably the reason that we see, you know, uh, ebbs and flows in hot topics and the latest and greatest and bells and whistles 
is sometimes um, coaches, they go to conferences and they hear the latest and the greatest, and they're very emotionally charged individuals and they want to hop on the latest and greatest as opposed to being logical and rational thinking and really and, and, and really saying, okay, is this just another gimmick and bells and whistles or is there some science behind this? Um, and sometimes we just like to think that we're out front and being innovated with the latest and greatest as well. And all of a sudden there becomes, you know, some type of a culture that follows certain training regimens and or nutritional practices. Um, now, just kind of as a sidebar here with the nutritional aspect of it, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, and I'm going to leave that to my colleagues who are registered dietitians. Um, you know, that, that, I mean, that, that, that field is definitely seems to be a bit all over the place, uh, more so than, you know, the strength and conditioning and sports science aspect of it, where, you know, I think, you, you know, eggs, eggs are good this week, but they're not good the next week because this study comes <laughs> out and shows, this study comes out and shows that it raises cholesterol. And then next week, a new study comes out and shows, no, it doesn't raise cholesterol. So sometimes we can be a bit all over the map with some of the research findings in, uh, in nutritional science. Um, but with strength and conditioning, I, you know, oftentimes it, it kind of, kind of deals with these gurus, um, and their bells and whistles approaches to doing things. And, you know, sometimes we have, you know, Instagram coaches who are trying to gain attention and perhaps gain attention so that they can get a more favorable position. Um, but when you talk to all of, you know, the very well-grounded, tried and true strength and conditioning coaches, you know, it comes down to fundamental aspects. Um, you know, we know we need to get our athletes strong. We know in some in football, we need to increase size in terms of hypertrophy in mass. Uh, we know that power is important. We know that speed is important. And we do have some tried and true fundamental principles that can show results pretty consistently um, in that programming. What are some of the things that, that you think, you know, kind of in programming that, that are kind of the, the tried and true ones? that you've researched over, you know, your 25 plus years or whatever uh, in the deal. Cause I think again, like you said, guys can get kind of sidetracked and, and guys can get, you know, pulled in the direction of, you know, this machine or this exercise or this way of doing things. But you know, wh what should be kind of the nuts and bolts, the basis of any athlete development program for a high school football coach? Oh, I think maybe we just start with the, the principle of progressive overload, you know, and that goes back to, you know, the Greek myth of uh, Milo carrying his calf and as the calf grew, Milo grew. Hmm. So just like in resistance training, you know, we don't start with, you know, trying to place, you know, 300 pounds on a barbell squat on a freshman coming in. They need to progressively get to that point. And even before we probably start with progressive overload, we need to think about movement mechanics as well and teaching good movement patterns in all of the foundational movements that we have, that being squat, uh, two-leg, single-leg, a hinge pattern, a lunge pattern, an upper body push and an upper body pull both, both vertically and horizontally, uh, and then bracing and rotating um, at the, at the, at the core and at the trunk. 
So those are our fundamental movement patterns. And again, programming those in a progressive manner, maybe getting into some, you know, periodization models, which are based upon progressive overload. Um, and I think, you know, the, the other biggest part of that is consistency. Hmm. You know, so you, you mentioned, you know, in terms of uh, high school, if we're talking to high school football coaches, like consistency sometimes can be a big thing. And sometimes they're at fault and sometimes they're not at fault. Um, you know, where we see plenty of work being done in the off season. Hey guys, you need to get in the weight room. Hey, we need to be out getting in our speed and agility. And I was a bit remiss on, you know, I talked about squatting and pushing and pulling and lunging, but you know, those are kind of our resistance training movement patterns. But, you know, we need to talk about linear, linear speed, lateral speed, uh, change of direction jumping and landing mechanics as well all foundational movement patterns but again spending all that time in the off season and then when it comes to the in season we just abandon it because we're so concerned with x's and o's right getting getting in this week's game plan Mm -hmm. and so we just we just scrap our resistance training and our conditioning um so that's when a coach can be at fault themselves other times they may not have control and i've seen this too often where a high school football coach puts in a lot of time and energy and 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 or the strength and conditioning coach is assigned to football they put in a lot of time and energy um you know during the off season and during the in season and then that kid goes and plays basketball and the basketball coach doesn't believe in, in weight training because it ruins the kid's shot right and then the kid's a baseball player as well. And the right. baseball coach doesn't, doesn't pay a lot of attention to strength and conditioning. So that kid comes back in the summer and, you know, we've lost six months of uh, opportunity for that kid to train. So having comprehensive, unified strength and conditioning programs within a high school becomes um, definitely a football coach's best friend. Yeah, we are, our head coach uh, has always said, and not that we're perfect, but at least the, I think the ideal is perfect, is that uh, if you're going to be a, a multi-sport athlete, then your, your first sport has to be the weight room. I mean, just to, to be able to stay healthy and, and uh, like you said, train even while you're in season uh, becomes extremely, I would assume, important for those guys that are going to be uh, in multiple sports and they don't get a, a complete off season for football. Yeah. Um, a, a couple things on that point. Um, the, the, the first is, yeah, the weight room has to be integral here, but there's also been a lot of times where I've seen young athletes, high school athletes spend too much time in the weight room. Um, and I say that because they have they have great numbers. They have great squat numbers, great great bench press, great clean, good vertical jump. And then you get them out on the field, and they're not very good technically, and they don't know the game well tactically. They don't have a good football IQ. So despite all the time that's spent in that room and getting strong and increasing uh, general athleticism, they can't apply it when they're on the field. So sometimes that can backfire as well because again if we're talking about football here we're trying to produce football players not weightlifters sure um so that that, that's something that really needs to be taken into consideration i mean there's there have been sometimes when i've advised coaches and athletes just looking at their numbers and knowing how they play on the field 
I actually like to create a report card. So that report card, just like in school, it has a lot of different subjects on it. So it has the technical domain, it has the tactical domain, it has the physical domain, and it has the mental domain. And each player is graded on that report card. So again, you guys know these kids who they're off the charts in the physical domain, just as the one that we just talked about. Um, but technically and tactically, and sometimes even mentally, they don't have a good focus. They don't have good concentration. They can't control their emotions. Um, they can't relax under pressure. So why do we why do we continue to build just on the strengths and not pay attention to the weaknesses in the off season? So taking away time in the weight room and putting it towards those other domains where there's weaknesses is going to make a better football player. So so that's kind of one aspect. I think the other aspect becomes. Um, the overall training load or the overall training volume of athletes as well. So if they're multi-sport athletes and, um, you know, let's say, again, this is, this is a real scenario here. Uh, kids are football player, basketball player. They get up at 6 a.m., they go and they lift. Um, they don't eat anything for breakfast, maybe a Pop-Tart, because they lifted right up until the bell rang. So they're they're basically undernourished um, mm-hmm. during, during the school day. They finish school. They go to basketball practice. Basketball, basketball coach is mad, runs them up and down the court. They're running gassers. Um, then, the, then the coach decides they're going to do uh, wall sits. So even though they did heavy deadlifts in the morning and cleans, basketball coach didn't communicate with a football coach. They do isometric wall sits. 20 minutes because the coach is mad at him uh then then he decides to do box jumps with him still bangs on the legs uh kid leaves basketball practice of course we have all these private coaches now right so the kid goes to his private his private quarterback coach that that coach didn't communicate with the other coaches takes him through his uh you know private qb training session does 250 med ball throws and decides to do another 250 burpees with the kid, you know? So uh, I think the training, overall training load and training volume is another thing that we have to take into consideration sometimes in, in, in these high school athletes as well. And again, I think that's where, you know, this concept of training load management um, needs to come into play and assessing training load in these athletes as well and having communication across the entire coaching staff um, and individuals who are handling and supervising and coaching these youngsters, that communication line has to be open um, for the health and the safety of that athlete as well. Is there a way to get all of that done? If Because if you do, uh, maybe not necessarily that exact split, but uh, let's say a guy does lift in the morning and then has basketball practice and then goes to a, a personal trainer. Uh, it's maybe not, maybe he didn't do heavy deadlift and, and wall sits and, and some of that stuff, but um, it, is there a way to get a kid, you know, cause they are kids. If, if the, if the rest is correct in between or afterwards, is there a way that we, that a kid can still go through all of that? Or is that something where he needs to be dialing it back just completely, no matter what, on the rest side of it? Well, I mean, you said that rest and recovery is really vital here. So making sure that they are getting adequate rest and recovery and using the cornerstones of nutrition and sleep. 
are going to be really important um, in this scenario right here. So um, there's also ways that we can be monitoring training load just by simple what we call internal load monitoring. Um, so, you know, I, I can ask you, hey, did you work out today? You're like, yeah, I worked out today. I can just ask you a simple question on a scale of one to 10, how hard was it? And you tell me six or seven or eight. And there are scales that are developed for this. So we take that and we and we multiply that by the duration of the training session. We get something called session RPE or session rating of perceived exertion. It's an arbitrary unit. It's a load score. So, and there are there are apps that are available where athletes can record their own session RPEs. Um, so that information could be shared with could be shared with a coach. Um, as well. And then obviously that's kind of where, you know, SPT GPS tracking can come into play in the football realm. Um, you know, so instead of just getting that subjective measure, if it is during football season um, or the off season where we're out running and doing football specific drills and or conditioning, uh, the GPS tracking device can actually get the ex what we call external load or the amount of mechanical work being done. So the total distance covered, uh, the speed at which the athlete is moving and, and orientation and accelerations and decelerations and some other algorithmically derived um, units that we can get in, an intensity score on as well. So all that can be taken into consideration when we try to you know, start monitor this training load or this you know, uh, overall workload that the athlete is undergoing is, Coach, is, is, that, is rpe anywhere sorry walls but it, no, no. Is, is rpe anywhere similar to uh what people are looking at when they look at vo2 max i i'm at a i yeah. am, i'm at a very uh rudimentary understanding of everything so uh i apologize yeah. if these are really no stupid. you're good uh they really could yeah, be, and that's why i want to ask yeah no i mean that's that that's why we're here right we're trying to educate coaches right. on these really important issues that kind of you know deal with you know optimal physical conditioning of their athletes and keeping them healthy and injury free right um so i you know i think one thing i'm going to do right now is just make the comment that if the listeners go to um the our website um www.sportsperformancetracking.com and under under blogs um, I've done a series of blogs with the purpose of trying to help coaches really understand what we're talking about here on the show as well. So there's one, you know, that I wrote on, you know, just what is GPS technology for sports? Um, and there's another one on practical applications of it in team sports. Another one about this concept of training load management. Um, so th those are some good resources for the listener. Um, so again, to answer your question, you're talking about VO2 max testing or, you know, kind of a laboratory aerobic fitness testing. So if any, if anybody has undergone one of those tests, you're on a cycle or you're on a bike in this laboratory environment, right? You have this mask over your face. Every couple of minutes, the intensity gets harder and you just keep going until you can't go. Um, so you're exactly right. During that test, typically one of the lab workers, lab technicians, They'll pull out this sheet, they'll put it in front of you, and they will have a score going from one to 10, 
can mean maximal exertion. And they'll ask you, what is your perceived exertion right now? And you'll point to a number. So you're at the beginning of the test, you're just walking on the treadmill and you point to three, right? And then two or three minutes later, they increase the speed up to like five, six miles an hour. So now you're at a slow jog. And then at the end of that stage, they're going to ask you, so how do you feel now? And now maybe you point to a six. Two or three more minutes go along and now you're, you know, running at seven and a half miles an hour at 10% grade. And they're asking you, well, how do you feel now? And you're like eight. Hmm. And then they crank up, they, then they crank it up to like 25% elevation, right? And you hold on to those handlebars because you can't go any longer. You feel like throwing up inside of that mask, right? They right. get that mask off of you and they're like, well, how do you feel now? And you point to 10 maximal exertion, right? So again, that's, that's kind of how that works. Like if you think about, you know, going through a training session, going through, you know, some drill work with your quarterbacks and your wide receivers, and it depends on how many there are and, um, you know, how quick the pace is. And at the end of the training session, you ask them, well, how, how hard was that guy's scale of one to 10? They're like, eh, it was about a five. And you guys went for an hour. So you have a score of five, you have 60 minutes, you have a total score of 300. And you can, you can do that along the course of a week and you can start collecting some data now so that you can get a better idea of the workload that your athletes are under, how they're responding. Um, and also the other key thing here is how you're varying that during the week as well. You know, like football coaches like to put their foot to the, the gas pedal to the floor, right? Just go hard all the time. And if we do that, we know that athletes can become – you know, especially when they're not recovering well, that they can be more prone to injury, hamstring pulls, other soft tissue injuries, and even, you know, just not performing optimally. You know, so we want to start looking at um, how are we varying that over the course of a week? Like, what, you know, having hard days and moderate days and easy days and varying that. So what high school football coaches want to do is they want to peak on Friday night. So what are we doing? in our training week so that we peak on Friday night. And again, we're installing offenses. We're thinking about the X's and O's, but again, we spent all this time and energy in the off season and in the preseason to condition the athletes. How are we maintaining that and making sure that we maintain it as well? That also comes into how you're designing your practices, you know, in terms of your, in terms of your drills, you know, which drills are hard and, sequencing drills from even even in, within a practice hard drills to an easy drill to a moderate drill to a hard drill to a moderate drill making sure that we have some rest perhaps in between you know certain drills as well so that those athletes can go at a high intensity um, but again sometimes the coaches I can fool you so technology like GPS tracking devices it's it's not guessing any longer right right if you get it's, the actual science behind it, it. You, 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 you're, you're getting the objective numbers behind it as well. So that's where, you know, using GPS technology like SPT can be very beneficial and take some of the guesswork out of, you know, this training load management concept and looking at the intensity of drills and entire practice sessions. Is, is heart rate variability something that you look at or, or is that, I think there's been certain podcasts I've listened to with uh, like UFC fighters. And, and I think that's something that 
lately it seems like has been something that's looked at overnight and then their trainer looks at that in the morning and, and sees what that is. Is that, is that a, something that you've looked into at all? Is, is that um, worthwhile or, or is that a true um, barometer of, of someone's exertion? Yeah. So I, I've not used it myself. I'm familiar with the concept. Um, again, this, this, this equipment can be fairly expensive as well. And it also can be quite time consuming to get those measures, especially on big groups of athletes, like a sure. football team. So sometimes the feasibility, again, like you, I think you mentioned like uh, MMA fighters, right? It's one, it's one person. Right. It's one, one guy person. with one trainer. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so again, we're talking, you know, expense, feasibility, staffing to collect all that information as well. Um, but in terms of, you know, you, you using that as a marker and typically that's going to be a marker more so of recovery, okay. um, you know, how the, how the body is responding to that stress. That, and then and again, there's other ways to do that. We can use recovery and wellness surveys. You know, sometimes it's just as easy as simply asking the athlete, you know, how do you feel today? Score, you know, score a one to five. Um, a lot of these recovery and wellness surveys will take into consideration sleep, mood, energy level, soreness, things of that nature. And again, those are simple paper pencil type tools. A lot of coaches have used it in like a Google Doc. Um, and again, there's apps available for that as well. Coach, what, uh, what are some of the, the data that maybe you've gathered? I know using some of the, the GPS and, and measuring kind of power output, you know, have guys obviously I'm sure have worn some of the devices during games, um, you know, during a football game. Have you guys kind of gotten a way to figure out, you know, the average amount of power output or the average, you know, distance traveled? And then now are you guys using that data to kind of map to, all right, what's the most efficient way to, to practice? I know you talked about obviously, you know, going hard sessions and, and, and slower sessions and stuff like that. But what about like duration of practice and duration of, of drills to kind of best mimic, you know, conditioning that's optimal for sport performance in football? Yeah. And I think that's where we need to start, right? The, the, the game is the, the game is the test. That's what we're preparing the athletes for. So with that said, and if we're using uh, GPS technology for that, sometimes it takes time to be able to figure all this out as well. Now, there, there are a few published papers on it. Um, sometimes there's other sports scientists who are willing to share data. Uh, obviously, it depends on what level you're at. You know, obviously, at, at the higher levels, this becomes, you know, trade secret, so to speak, right? They don't <laughs> sure. want to share any. They don't want to share any of their information. But sometimes there's high school strength and conditioning coaches you know, and especially if they're, you know, across the country and you're not competing with them and, you know, they're pretty altruistic uh, towards their profession, they'll share information about game demands. And that's really where we should start. You know, what are the game demands? What's, what's the total distance that the athlete, you know, moves throughout the game? What is the high distance running that they're doing? What are the number of sprints that they're doing? What, what are the numbers of accelerations and decelerations? And then thinking about, well, that's what happens in a game. Now we need to prepare them for it. Um, before I move on, I think the other thing that's important to mention is sometimes we get caught up in averages. So I, to, today I just, um, I just wrote a blog on, uh, on, on American football, and it dealt with one paper. Uh, it was on collegiate football players 
and it reported the average and then the standard deviation or the variance in that data. Um, and we get caught up on averages, right? If a coach is going to look at that paper, what's the first thing they're going to go to? What was the average number of yards that a wide receiver ran? Oh, 6,000 yards? Well, we better, we better make sure our wide receivers can run 6,000 yards. But guess what? Not every, not every wide receiver ran 6,000 yards, and not every game was at 6,000 yards. Some of those games, it might have been 8,500 yards. Mm-hmm. So if you, only, if you only prepare them for the average, and then we get into a situation in a game where they're going above that average, then we may start getting into trouble because of fatigue and you know, increased risk of injury and things of that nature. So again, when looking at the data, making sure to look at the extremes, because what we really want to do is prepare them for the extreme conditions, don't we? Mm-hmm. So, so the first thing is, you know, if you're, if you're going to obtain these um, devices, trying to, trying to find somebody who's also used them to get benchmarks. And we're, and we're working on that as well. We're trying to collect more information from coaches who, and strength and conditioning coaches and sports scientists who have been using this in the field at the high school level at the small college level, at the division one level, so on and so forth, so that we can provide, you know, kind of guidelines and benchmarks to say, okay, for a wide receiver, running back, defensive back, linebacker, whatever position it is, you know, here's the average, but here's also the range. Here's the range for total distance, for the number of sprints, for high intensity um, running, so on and so forth. And then, And then with that, again, Using that information for off-season, pre-season, and in, in, and in-season conditioning. Um, and again, when it gets to in-season, you know, I, I think too oftentimes um, high school football coaches they think about in-season conditioning as okay, it's the end of practice, everybody on the line, let's run gassers. Mm-hmm. Now think about gasser. Think about gassers. Does that look like football? <laughs> yeah, not at all. No. Not so much, does it? Four to six seconds. High intensity, short burst, with probably 20 to 30 seconds of rest, that's football. So if we design our practices effectively, we can design it to mimic game conditions. Now we don't have to say at the end of practice, okay, everybody on the line. But again, it's not like you want every day, Monday through Thursday, to be exactly what's going to happen in a game because by friday by friday guess what happens we haven't allowed for adequate recovery and now we may we may not get optimal performance so you know there's a lot of different ways people think about you know hard medium easy days Mm -hmm. and i think the other thing i think the other thing that happens is thursdays always walk through right Mm -hmm. thursdays always walk through and sometimes when you get these guys who they're on they're on offense, defense, special teams, and they're doing a walkthrough, their total yardage can be through the roof as well, just, that, just on a walkthrough day. Even though it may not have been high-intensity stuff, their, their, total, their total distance can be really, really high. Um, so just being you know, kind of conscious about that as well. But again, if you're not measuring, you're just guessing, or you, or you may not even know. Well, that's what I was going to say would be the interesting thing for me to see. And like you said, it could be kind of trade secrets, so it would be tough to, to get it on other teams. But, uh, you know, there's, there's some guys that, like, that I've heard from, like, the Chip Kelly model that'll be um, more high intensity right before the – not right before the game, but a few days before the game and, 
and uh, yeah. he, it's like he kind of ramps it up the day before, and they're a lot more high intensity than than most teams are, where it kind of fades throughout the year and or throughout the week, uh, the closer to the game. That would all be really interesting for me to look at, uh, and I'm not sure if you guys have gotten any of that data back or, or if you have personally even, but um, I've always kind of been interested in that just because there is two you know fairly different ways to do it, whether it's Am I should I be giving my guys, you know, no miles the the day before and maybe two days before, or is is that a day where I want to kind of ramp the body up? Obviously, not go high mileage, but um, go maybe some higher intensity stuff. Yeah, and, and again, you know, those are two different things, right? There's the volume and the and there's the intensity. So we, we can we can keep the intensity moderate to high, but keep the volume down. Um, and yeah, a lot, a lot of teams are going to that model, especially, you know, on a Thursday and sometimes it, it might, it, you know, it's probably going to be a walkthrough, but we're also getting, you know, some bouts of, you know, flying tens in there, um, you know, that are, that, that are of more high intensity, um, just to kind of prime those guys, uh, for, for Friday. But again, I think, I think the whole key here guys is, you know, the variation across the week as well and not always going, you know, high intensity Monday through Thursday and expecting them to come out and play optimally on Friday. Yeah, I think they'd kind of gotten it from, like, uh, sprinters, you know, making sure, you know, they studied it, I'm sure, the the science of, you know, when I know I have race day and I want to be fast on race day, you know, they, they'd done some some high-intensity sprinting the day before, but it's like you said, the volume is super low but it's still priming the nervous system, getting them ready to perform. And then, you know, maybe the day or two days before that, it was a, a super low intensity day. So they were getting that, yeah. that full recovery. And then, like you said, ramping it kind of back up towards, towards performance, but, you know, keeping a, a, a very, very watchful eye, close eye on what was my total volume? What was my total yeah. mile, mileage or, or meters, you know, for the week? I think, you can learn a lot from some of the, the track guys because they're probably some of the first ones that have really tracked this. Would I be wrong? No, you're, you're out. You're, you're correct in saying that for sure. And I, and I think the other thing that should probably be brought up in the conversation deals with developmental players. You know, those kids who aren't getting a lot of reps on um, Friday night, and sometimes they're not getting a lot of reps in practice either. Huh. Um, yeah, that's true. And, 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 and remember, when your first string tailback goes down and your second string tailback goes down, then what happens? Then you, then you have this kid who, right. you know, conditioned really, conditioned really well with everybody else all summer. And what has he been doing since, you know, week one? And now all of a sudden it's week seven and he's deconditioned, you know, so, so, so making sure that those developmental players and, you know, I've, I've had to do this before. And sometimes it's a tough sell to try to talk to those kids, you know, on a, Saturday morning or a Sunday when everybody else is in watching film and they're out, you know, you know, <laughs> running sprints and doing agility <laughs> That's you know, right. because they, because, because they need to be getting their workload in as well. But, you know, it's just, it, it comes down to communication and, you know, getting them to buy into the program and why they're doing this as well. Um, and it can be a motivational factor for them as well. I'm curious, too, because I think, uh, you know, two things that I see um, relatively 
there's kind of almost two models to it, especially I think in college football and maybe even more than that. But um, you see some teams where they, they bring in, they bring in their team the day after uh, the day after a game and they're going to run our, their guys and, and lift them through that next day. And then you'll get some of the teams that they'll actually give them Sundays off and won't bring their guys in until Monday. Is that something that you've looked into at all as far as what that recovery day looks like? And then uh, does that also depend on um, mileage that, that a guy racked up during a game as well? Yeah, it can be. I, I mean, at, at the high school level, this all gets pretty tricky, doesn't it? Sure, yeah, because um, if you don't bring them in Saturday, then you're, you're bringing them in, not bringing them until Monday. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been associated with teams where, you know, they bring them in on Saturday morning, and the sole reason they bring them in on Saturday morning is keep them out of trouble on Friday night. <laughs> sure, that's right. You know, like coaches have flat out told me, Joe, the only reason that we do this is I want to make sure that they're in bed getting rest. And then I wake them up early on Saturday morning, but the reason I do it is because I keep them out of trouble on Friday night. Um, and some, and, and sometimes those, and I've been associated with teams, uh, or, or no strength and conditioning coaches who sometimes they'll lift them on Saturday morning mm-hmm. and others, others will just treat it as a recovery day. They'll do some pool work. They'll do some, you know, slow jog, some static stretching, um, you know, just kind of working the kinks out a little bit. So, you know, I've seen it done two ways. And then again, I've seen it done where the developmental kids, they'll they'll go through a a pretty good session. Right. And then, you know, on the other side of the gym, the starters will be going through more of a recovery regeneration type session. Um, And again, still with others, you know, Saturday is just an off day. And then they'll they'll bring you in on Sunday, whether it be Sunday, you know, noon or Sunday afternoon. And obviously, you know, sometimes you can get uh, into some, you know, uh, religious observations here. And, you know, some kids will show up, some won't. Uh, so it, it's just, in my experience at the high school level, it's really a mixed bag in terms of what people will do in terms of recovery and training on Saturdays and Sundays. Obviously, a lot of that time is dedicated to film as well. My my other big question, and it goes a little bit away from from you know the GPS and and tracking all mileage, but it, it does have to do pretty heavily with recovery. Is um, you know for a while it seemed like ice baths were like the thing that you were supposed to do all the time, and it was very thought of very very high um, scientifically. And then like even like saunas were thought to be at least when I was growing up, it was like a no, don't saunas are the worst thing you could possibly do. And then um, it seems like almost things have kind of changed a little bit maybe, or, or maybe just the circles that I hear it from. But um, then I, I, I listened to when I was at, at University of Houston, I listened to our um, cross country guy and, and he talked about not using ice, ice baths certain times, like after workouts, but using ice baths maybe after um, a high mileage day. Uh, and, and then um, I think more recently, even I'm hearing saunas maybe on off days trigger certain proteins and different things. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts on on ice baths and and maybe even cry? I, I don't think high school cryotherapy is probably not uh, <laughs> with any high school kids, but we definitely have ice baths and different things. Do you have any 
thoughts on that for recovery? Uh, uh, the, you know, I, I'm sure kids can go get in saunas as well pretty, pretty easily at certain places, but um, probably not at school. But uh, do you have any thoughts on recovery with ice or, or with heat? Yeah, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to admit that right now I need to catch up a little bit because everything that you said I've seen – on social media or in emails or whatever. And I need to get caught up again, but um, you know, it, it, it's starting to become a little bit like the nutrition stuff that we had at the beginning <laughs> of, right. of, 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 of the show where it's, you know, it, it's, it's starting to, it's starting to change a little bit in terms of when to apply cold and when to apply heat. Um, and again, I'm, you know, I'm just going to have to <laughs> uh, admit here that I haven't, I haven't spent the time in the last six months to a year to get caught back up on that again. So sure. Uh, yeah, that, I don't want, I, I, I don't, don't want to, yeah, I don't, I don't want to play any guesswork, guesswork <laughs> sure. here. Uh, but obviously you just added something to my reading list by, you know, calling me out on this one and, oh, and, no. uh, ha, and, 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 and having to, having to admit that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not uh, up to date in the last uh, six months to a year on some of this, uh, changing um, recommendations for it, but you know, obviously there are a lot of techniques that are available. You know, the hydrotherapy, the active recovery, the stretching, compression garments, massage, um, and, and again, I think another piece here is just the individualization of it as well. Mm. You know, in, in terms of my read on some of the things that are happening, you know, just like everything, you know. We all respond differently to nutritional interventions. We all respond differently to, you know, strength and conditioning type type of regimens as well. And there's a little bit of that that happens um, with recovery as well. Um, and quite honestly, some of it is uh, a mental aspect as well, where some athletes they just feel good after they take an ice bath, you know. So, and so that that can't be dismissed. That placebo effect sometimes that some of these recovery techniques have on athletes mm -hmm. um, can be just as powerful as the physiological effects of them as well. It's a crazy science, man. There's just there's just so many directions I think you can go, and and you know I I, I think it's just kind of that that constant state of of trying to find you know fact versus fiction or you know, what are some of the, the fundamental truths or the foundational truths that I think, you know, sometimes you can just kind of get, get lost in that wormhole of trying to find the, the perfect program when I think you just described it. You know, if, if your athletes believe in it, you know, they're not getting hurt and, and you know, they're, they're maybe adding mass if you're a football player and then at the same time you're adding explosiveness, you're adding speed. So it's, it's actually good weight that, that you're adding. I think that there's so much to be said about that rather than, you know, maybe seeking that perfect program. Let, let's seek, you know, kind of that, that perfect medium between how does an athlete feel, how safe does he feel, and then how well is he performing? How, you know, how, how's the car kind of driving when he's out there trying yeah. to do things that he's supposed to be doing? Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we, before we leave this conversation of recovery, I think, you know, I, I mentioned this early on, and I think it's worth mentioning again, and that is, you know, <laughs> we're going on to hydrotherapy and, you know, other types of recovery techniques. But if we don't get the if we don't get the cornerstones right, it doesn't matter. If we don't get nutrition and sleep right, all those other ones really don't matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
again, let's talk about high school athletes. How many of them are getting nutrition and sleep right? Right. You know, so and make, making, and again, sometimes coaches pay lip service to it. Hey, guys, make sure to get your rest, get hydrated, you know, have a good meal, and then that's it. Right? Like, you know, how, no much, how, much, time and, how much time and attention are we really placing on that? And obviously, you know, in, a, in, in programs that do have the really quality strength and conditioning coaches and athletic training staffs, that's something that can be passed off to them. Um, but again, I think it needs to go throughout the entire program. You know, it can't just be the strength and conditioning coach or the athletic trainer saying that stuff where it has to be the coaching staff that also, you know, supports, makes those comments, follows up, um, on things like that. And the other thing is bringing it to them, you know, from a nutritional standpoint, I've had teams that have set up training table following practices and games as well Mm -hmm. um and you know obviously the sleep becomes a really challenging thing for the high school adolescent athlete um but but just making sure that you know they understand um the benefits of it they understand the risk of uh sleep deprivation and how how it's going to impact their performance um, obviously this is all easier said than done, right? Because, you know, not, you know, the, n- nothing harms them, right? Oh, I can get, I can get biased. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, we know those stories too often, but, uh, I just think constant bombardment with those messages, um, of nutrition and sleep for, you know, adequate recovery and optimal performance, um, are really key throughout the program. That was probably the best thing when, when Coach Walls came to Broken Arrow with Coach Alexander that they did at, at our high school. And we've got a really big, nice high school, in the biggest in the state, and we've got all these, you know, uh, fancy, expensive, everything we could ever want. But I think the best thing we've ever done that they ever did was they brought in, uh, you know, kids. Now we've got peanut butter and jelly sandwiches up at the, up at the football facility every single day. So uh, as soon as the kids are done working out, they can make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which, uh, you know, uh, you'd probably rather it be steak and chicken, but they've got food <laughs> and, and chocolate milk there every single day. And, and it's available on the yeah. week too. And it's just, I think it's just, uh, my, my linemen at least have, have gotten so much stronger because of that, that ability to recover right after. And, and like you said, you're not just saying, Oh, okay, you don't have time. Just go home and, and hopefully you get a meal at some point. Yeah, you're bringing it to them, right? That's you, right. You've 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 removed a potential barrier and obstacle. Yeah, it, it's worked really well for us. Okay, so if if I have you know I've got a program and I've decided, hey, I'm gonna I want to really track. We want to do a great job of recovery. We want to track how much our kids are running. What's their force output? What's their uh, energy output? What's their mileage? Uh, I'm going to go with SPT. I'm going to put these shirts on them with these trackers and, and I'm going to get this. And, and when I look at it, I think, okay, I've got whatever we've got a hundred, but let's just say we got 60 kids that we put these on. Now I've got all of these numbers. Um, it, it almost would seem, uh, overwhelming to me if I just started out with, I've got nothing. Now I've got all these numbers from these different kids it, it, kind of a two-part question almost, and I hate – I do this all the time, but uh, – with these broad questions. But 
is there, I would assume like with certain things with your blogs and with SPT, they can kind of help me make some of those numbers palatable. And then is there a certain time uh, that you would start instituting using these GPS systems? Like, would you say start it in the off season or would you say more start it when we get going with actual football practice? No, I, I think, I think for sure I'd be starting in the off season. Um, so obviously number one is, there's going to be a certain reactivity that these kids have to the device, right? This is new. It's, it's, it's new. It's novel. They know they're being tracked. So let's just remove all that before the season starts, because obviously once the season starts, you guys know that you want focus and attention. Um, so I think starting in the off season is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the other thing I think that's really important to understand is there's, there's the hardware, then there's the software. So the the hardware is the actual unit itself, right? It's that GPS tracking device that goes up in that um, uh, sports vest or, you know, uh, in the shoulder pad. I've seen um, some teams place like a holder in the shoulder pad. Hmm. They wear it. They they wear it. And then that data is going to the software. So um the thing with spt and its uh analytic engine called game tracker it also has a virtual sports scientist so it helps coaches with the numbers um so again uh in this situation if you don't have a dedicated sports scientist and or a strength and conditioning coach who's going to be able to spend the time with that you know, that's one more thing for somebody on the coaching staff to pay attention to. Right. So what, so what we've done is we've created this virtual sports scientist, which generates, which generates reports. It flags, you know, it's, it, it, it makes the, it makes the data interpretation and the actionable things um, that need to happen easier for you to coach. Um, obviously, you know, having the strength and conditioning coach who can help you with these numbers that probably has a little, perhaps a little bit better acumen related to, you know, some of the sports science uh, principles and stuff is going to be incredibly helpful, but it's, it also doesn't mean, you know, somebody on the coaching staff can't learn. Right. Um, and obviously that's, and obviously that's part of my job as well. Being head of sports science is helping coaches make sense of these numbers and make it easy to implement um, the technology uh, into into the program yeah I think that would be that would be the the crucial part of it especially when you're first getting into it even if you had a dedicated strength conditioning coach it would be uh to get all those numbers starting off and and kind of the cool part is is I would think for strength coaches you get to really see that force output in the off season uh there you know I, I knew so many guys that you know fake the high intensity stuff and make a lot of noise so uh, the coach would get <laughs> off of their back. Uh, this is kind of this would kind of call out all those liars back in the uh, six a.m. workout days. Yeah, you, you you know you know those tricks as well, don't you? Yeah, oh, grit your yeah. teeth, <laughs> grit, your, grit your teeth, grit <laughs> your eyes, and grunt and groan. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that uh, that's that internal marker of intensity versus that external output of it, right? That's right. I think that'd be the another nice thing about it too is I mean you know understanding you know when when guys are fatigued, you know being able to see some of that that force output you know and, and being able to show kids that too like hey this this is why you know we want to be conditioned we want to be in shape because 
you know, look, look what happens. The, the, the force that you're, you're putting out when you, when you are fresh, you know, and, and, and when right. you're, well, you're well conditioned and you're well recovered. So here's what happens on a day when, okay, you told me you only slept four hours last night and you hadn't eaten anything. Let's look at your force output today. And I think it gives you yeah, kind of that, that third data point to really drive home some of those crucial behaviors that you're really trying to get into those kids anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you made a great example there of using some of those recovery wellness survey uh, responses. Number, you know, the amount of sleep, how they feel, what's their energy, what's their mood. Then they go to practice, and all of a sudden, here's your GPS outputs, and you're you're making that link for them. Hey, here's the, this is the importance of sleep and recovery. You know, here's this was your output today. We you know we can't be having this, and and, and even in a practice. Setting. You know, if you have a competitive team and that kid's fighting for a spot, you know, uh, they start paying attention to that, don't they? Yeah, I, I just any kid. I mean, I've I've said it all along. You know, I've 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 yet to meet a kid who you know wants to suck at something. You know, I mean, they they all want to be good. They all want to maximize. They all want to win. So I mean, you always kind of start there. Like, hey, th- there's a reason why I'm teaching you the techniques I teach you. You know, hopefully they're going to help you win. You're going to be more successful. Same thing with you know, sleep and, and proper nutrition that we've been preaching and preaching and preaching and teaching to you guys. Hey, here's the, the actual data. You're, you're not putting out as much force. You can't move as fast. You can't move as quick. All of a sudden now that's going to affect your performance. So I just think that, that that's the ultimate, you know, tra- trainer to a kid, you know, it's either playing time or am I getting better? That's a motivator to anybody. I think anyone who wants to be any good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Coach, we had a. Uh, I, I don't have any other further questions for you. I feel like I'm on a on a judge and jury. No further questions, but um, <laughs> I, I I did have a blast uh, and I learned a bunch. I got a whole page of notes over here uh, that I've been jotting different things down, and and uh, I, I learned a lot from it. And uh, really appreciate you coming on and and uh, giving us an hour and and talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate the opportunity. You know, I know a lot of times you guys talk to coaches and it's a lot of, you know, schemes and X's and O's and, you know, football stuff like that. So uh, taking the time to, you know, chat to me about these types of concepts, uh, hopefully is going to um, be a good show for coaches to listen to and, and, and learn and think about in terms of preparing their athletes for optimal performance and keeping them healthy. Yeah, I think the more that, that any coach can – can up his his level and you know we, we've had a couple of guys on now that you know have helped us you know with some of the the mental aspects and the, and the speed and the and the movement and the recovery I just think that the more that you're knowledgeable about that I mean it, it increases your credibility in kids' eyes and I think you know it, it kind of shows again that you really do care about their their well-being hey we want to help you perform your best but at the same time we want you to be safe and we want to make sure that, you know, you're going to be at your best to, to not be able to take some of these, these injuries. And, you know, we, we genuinely care about you as, as a person. I think it's, it's, it's a paramount part to, to what we do as coaches. We can't just be concerned about those X's and O's and those schemes all the time. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. 
This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.